How's your last week been, Cherise? You, didn't you come know, prepared. I think that we are more, I think as an office, we are more productive when you and Alex are out of town. Disagree. Okay, I don't know. I, I mean, no. Yes, some things are harder that yeah. involve the two of you, right? Obviously, because of the time zones and the emailing back and forth, etc. But as in when we are in this office and you two are not here, it's a lot more quiet. And we, why, 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 because look, why? Like, I don't, I need to know. I don't know if it's like just specifically the two of you or if you removed like, let's say me and Cody were or out of town. Or it's just the fact there's two more people in the office. Right, just like five people via seven people. But I like a suspicion that it really is you two specifically. Anyway, the period of time where you guys were gone, there would be giant sloths of just like, Everyone was working really Te- hard. Technically, that's 40% more people in the office. So maybe it's just the numbers. Right. Maybe it's just a number. Maybe. Although I'm, I'm really loud in the office. Yes, you are. See, exactly. Yeah. And you ask people to play FIFA all the time. I need a break. And if you're not here, they play less FIFA. I definitely think that I played too much FIFA yesterday. Like, it was kind of like did. going on a roll and then everyone wanted a piece of the champion. That's not even true. I lost to Nathan in the beginning. Anyways, I don't want to get into yes, FIFA. Yes, he lost to Nathan 3-0. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into that. Okay. Okay. All right. Anyway, that was my um. Anyways, we're, we're on a time crunch today because we're not, you slept we're in. Not, I actually have a full hour, so we don't like really need to talk okay. any quicker or anything. We just couldn't lollygag. Well, like, I got stuff to do. Okay. Yeah, let's get into it. Actually, let me see. Do well, you have anything what, I what need have, to... What's been up with you this past week? Uh, do you want to talk about I your I got back from LA. LA. Um, I did an event with... Nicole, my wife, and her food blog slash brand, That Food Cray. We did an event with Urban Outfitters. That was pretty cool. Ooh, can I shout out Little Egypt Bakery? Yeah. Um, which is a family business um, with our friend Adam L. Ramley and his sister, I think. Yes. And they made and his cousins. The most nephews. Sorry. Amazing baklava. Well, I didn't get to try anything else. Because, like, you guys brought it back You had, from like, four-day, five-day-old baklava. It was still amazing, and I ate, like, a third of that box. Yeah. That was so good. Yeah. No, it's legitimately good. I think that the most interesting or fascinating thing about the whole event was just giving an opportunity to people who, I guess, in, this, in the case of Little Egypt, what's interesting is that, like, this has been, like, kind of a, a family secret in the sense that the only people that actually have had a chance to taste the, the desserts our family members. This was just an opportunity for them to bring it into a more public setting. And yeah. Adam was like super excited, super stoked to see people's initial reaction because these are strangers, right? It's one thing for your family to get super hyped about your yeah. food. It's another thing for a stranger who doesn't know you, who doesn't owe you anything. So he's really excited about it. I'm excited yeah. for that. So some of the other vendors that were participating included Dream Pops. So what it was, I guess, from a sort of creative standpoint, it was just how can you find a way to bridge food and music and just have a sense of curation behind it. So everyone was just sort of there to hang out and like interact with each other versus, oh, I'm just here for food or I'm just here for music. So we ended up working with Dream Pops, who is this uh, popsicle company who does 3D printed popsicles, these cool geometric shapes, cheeses, grilled cheese sandwiches. Um, I Wanderlust. saw on Instagram, it looked amazing. Yeah, Wanderlust Creamery, bowl. who does ice cream, Tiki Fish, who does poke and ceviche. And then Little Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. It was fun. Oh, good. And you guys sold some shirts. Uh, I think so. Yeah? I don't know. I don't. I, 
I, I should probably care more about it, but it's more about bringing people together. I mean, I liked that you get to see Eugene wearing this white graphic tee with olives on it. And it's funny because this is actually very much representative of today's topic. That's so true. Yeah. So should we just jump into it? We should go into your topic. You want? Okay, I'll start first. It's a perfect segue. All right. So something a little bit different that we've tried to do with the briefing is not just rely on sort of existing news source from other places, but just try to comment and, you know, take stock of what's currently going on. Um, and so my topic this week is, have we hit peak merchandise or is there still an opportunity for us to tap this revenue stream for a lot of other non-traditional sort of fashion players? So what, what I think is really interesting, if you look around right now, it's traditionally t-shirts, all sorts of product in general, emanated from these types of brands where there's a fashion brand uh, and the merchandise angle for me personally you've sort of seen it bubble up and it's way more prevalent now so i think you haven't been i don't think you've been totally specific you need sure, to be a little bit maybe, more clear. maybe if you want to jump in and like well just because like you said fashion brands but i think we're specifically talking about like not fashion brands exactly right? like we're exactly. saying for example like that food cray which is a food blog at yeah. its essence or originally in history and now has a line of t-shirts like that kind of thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way of looking at it. And you know, some of the things that I, I think if you look within the last few years, I think music artists have probably been the biggest proponent of merchandise. It's yeah. never been disconnected, but it's never been this big. That's probably the best example from history, especially looking at concert merch. Yeah t-shirts and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, now it's massive, to be honest. But I think what's the interesting sort of segue is now magazines getting into merchandise. Yeah. Right. Magazines, apps, Overcast, which is Sharice and I's favorite podcast app, is releasing stuff like hats. It's so funny. Um, and then Nardwar, who is this super hilarious, intense music journalist out of Canada, out of Vancouver, who, you know, he's releasing t-shirts. Although I don't think it's like that crazy. It's just that this has become this untapped revenue stream that I think a lot of people are starting to really come around to. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is we did kind of talk about this topic in the past when we were talking about the New Yorker tote bag. And the church merch. Right. Yeah. I didn't, uh, yeah. I, I remember the New Yorker tote bag conversation. Yeah. So I think the, to kind of elaborate more on this, merchandise makes a lot of sense. I think there's a, I kind of got called out by Tom in the Slack community yeah. it was like oh you know what? like i think obviously it was just joking but basically felt like we were calling him out in a way which I, mean, I, I don't i never intended the the dialogue to be oh you know what this is a bad thing i actually think it's something that makes a lot of sense i think the joke is because well he um runs this agency helps run this agency breaks and they make these like one-time limited t-shirts with different um they collaborate with different other brands and it's it's in the line of what we're talking about where it's people who aren't necessarily in it to make like a really finessed brand. It's not apparel be item, you know, a like product brand. I think right. it's the best way. To exactly. It. It's not like out there. They're yeah. not here to innovate in fabrics. Right. But there's still value that comes in a different way. Yeah. So for me, I think it's, it's, it's something that is really interesting because what is the value of merchandise? I mean, it's a great revenue stream because hopefully you're connecting with people in a physical way. I think one of the underlying elements of successful merch is how do you bring a sense of tangible 
experience to your product. Because at the end of the day, a lot of things that we've talked about, which in many cases, they're media companies, right? Mm -hmm. Media companies struggle to be physical, Mm -hmm. tangible, especially now when you're not really printed matter. Yeah. So how do you find a way to first bring that into the real world, which in and to itself is like marketing. Your product is in the world. Your tote bag is being seen. People see you walking the streets, right? That's one way of looking at it on the brand side. On the consumer side, what's the value? Well, first, it's like identification with a brand. You know, some of that brand equity now becomes part of your identity. If it's a really cool brand, like on the media side that talks about XYZ, it becomes a bit of identity, a bit of purpose, you know? And I think that's why the New Yorker tote that we talked about maybe a while ago was so critical. You know, what's interesting is, do you know the media company Radiotopia? Yes. I don't know if media company is the right way to put it, but it's a network of podcasts and they're all really good. Includes uh, 99PI, Illusionist, et cetera. And they recently just wrapped up their fall fundraising campaign. I don't, did this come across your radar? I might be a little behind, to be honest. So they did this really big push. They were aiming for 20,000 donors and it could be like 20,000 people who gave $1. Okay, so it wasn't like tagged to a dollar amount. But what they did was any donors, no matter what amount you gave, you would get a sticker pack, okay, representing all the different podcasts. And then also at different tiers, like a Kickstarter, right? Like you would get some kind of Radiotopia merchandise and there were like, Camping mugs and I forget. I, I got the one with the camping mug, which is why I remember it. Yeah. But just thinking about, because what you're saying is like, oh, what's in it for the consumer? And I'm not quite, like I have to pick my own brain. What is it that's appealing to me about well, owning first and foremost, a Radiotopia Rodi- mug? First and foremost, Radiotopia is not some candy bullshit. It's like legitimate topics, legitimate journalism. That is what you're identifying with, right? If I see you with a Radiotopia mug and I'm familiar with it, I'm like, yo, Sharice is probably of above average <laughs> intelligence. I don't know. I don't know how to put it, but you no, know what I mean, I right? I know what you mean. I, there's, there's like a cultural cachet. Exactly. And I, it's not really, I mean, in many ways, we're kind of doubling up on what we talked about before, but that's kind of the beauty of it. I think and that's the beauty of merch is that both parties are actually so much better for it. Yeah. Right? Which is why to Tom's point, like, I think it's awesome. I think that it makes a lot of sense. You could go a few layers deeper and think like, well, you know what? What is the purpose behind like bringing another piece of garment into the world? I don't know. What's so interesting though is that I think these products, I don't think that they would be appealing to anyone who's not already uh, reading or listening to or a fan of that thing. No. Yeah, I think that to start anyways, no, it it's definitely a very niche product, right? I mean, you do need to reach a certain level of scale for it to be successful because if only two people are going to buy your t-shirt, that's not success. But if you can like make a minimum run of 300 t-shirts, then yeah, and you can sell those. Yeah, I think you're, you're hitting a certain stride there. I think it's just so interesting that idea that it's not the product that's going to convert someone into being a fan of yours. It's offering products to your fans, to your existing fan base. And on the business side, it's, as I mentioned, a lot of these things that are, you know, a lot of these entities that are engaging in merch, their traditional revenue streams have been sort of taken out from beneath them. 
right? Like if you're if you're a media company, like advertising is not what it used to be, right? Yeah, this if is what we talked about last week. Yeah, if you're a, what you call it, if you're a musician, streaming music is sort of, you know, Spotify ads. That's kind of where you're making a little bit of money, a little bit off memberships to Spotify. But the reality of it is this is a direct relationship you've already created. Now you're being, now you're able to monetize it more directly. So I think that's something that cannot be dismissed at all. And I think that's why you're in a point in time where more and more people are going to engage in it. Because this is like anything and everything. Like YouTubers are like creating their own product lines too. You know, like I was speaking to someone who was working with a YouTuber, released some no-name backpack. No name in the sense it wasn't like a collaboration, but it was their own brand of backpacks. Mm -hmm. And, you know... They sold tens of thousands of dollars worth of backpacks over a weekend. So interesting. Yeah. Like if you have a, you kind of need to be in a place where, and I'm not trying to put them all in this media group so much as like a lot of them that are successful are from some sort of media background. Like you're a YouTuber, you're a magazine, you know, um, O32C with the socks, you know, that magazine that I think they do, there's like something interesting or compelling about the fact they've been able to sell these you know, generally pretty basic socks, just yeah. white, the logo. Yeah. Right. But I think if you see someone with that, you kind of, and this is how I look at it. Like, oh, you know what? This person is into fashion, but on a more profound level. And that's sort of the cultural currency that comes with it. So it does come to a point where I'm sure there are tons of people. If you hit a some sort of critical mass, um, people are going to be wearing that stuff without actually being a participant within that actual medium which kind of sucks. You know, like Thrasher Magazine, another great right, example. Right. Yeah, we talked about this before too. Yeah. Um, it is interesting to think about brands, and stop me if we've already talked about this, but it's interesting to think about companies or brands that you would not be interested in buying a product with their logo or brand on it, even if it's something you use. Like, this isn't exactly media, but... Would you get something that had like a Feedly logo on it? I would wear it. Really? No, I wouldn't wear it, but I would wear it. How would I say? I would say it's cool, but I, you know, I only, all I wear is black. Feedly is an RSS reader that I know Eugene uses. I use it, yeah. Yeah, but I'm just thinking about like, there is some kind of line, right? Where yeah. there's brands that you, if even if they put out a really functional backpack or like box, for example, the... um cloud storage service we use if they made a really cool backpack i don't know if i do backpack. it's not like that kind of entity no no but i i to also sort of reiterate more on the business side you're at a time and place now where it's so easy to like dip in and out of different things you know oh i'm gonna try this today i'm try that tomorrow that's why you need a you need a sort of method or approach to monetizing your super fans and yeah, that sounds yeah. really... Wait, did we talk about this? The uh, Who is the person who talks about a thousand true fans? We we posted an article about that. Yeah. I forget. But yeah, it's exactly that. You're, you're going to search right now, right? Yeah. Kevin Kelly. Yeah. Kevin Kelly on the Technium writes about this idea of a thousand true fans. And I really can't remember if we've talked about it before, but it's this idea that if you can just find a thousand people who are loyal, seriously loyal to whatever you do, then that's enough. And that could be, you know, a thousand fans paying five bucks a month. That's enough to 
subsist off of. Yeah. You might not, you're not going to be balling out, but you can live. So I guess my verdict is that merch is something that will only get bigger from here. I mean, you're going to, you are going to enter a place where are you going to find a buyer for it? I mean, that's kind of the onus on just ensuring you create a great product. Like I don't, the merch means nothing unless you have a strong brand behind it, right? Yeah, no, it doesn't. It, it means absolutely nothing. And I think that's sort of the the thing is that strong brand, regardless, like once you have a strong brand, anything's possible. It doesn't because there's no way like Macon is going to compete with Outlier, right? On no. the most comfortable, whatever is breathable yeah. merino wool t-shirt. Yeah. You know, there's no way because that's not what our focus is. So you're not going to compete on that level. Exactly. The only thing we can really compete on is our unique voice and like, how can people that are part of a conversation showcase that yeah. through merch? And I think the next evolution, like this is... Do you is, think there's ever going... Sorry, I'll let you finish and then ask me a question. I think there's something to be said about how do you find the right way to allow merchandise to both fulfill its goal, but also create a sense of honesty, integrity. Actually, that was exactly what my question was, which was... Do you think about people who do merch in a way where it's going to be off-putting? Like, it's, I mean, obviously we do need to monetize and so does New York Mag and Nardi and Overcast. Like, they need to monetize and that's the reality of it. But somehow it's like, if it's not done in a correct way, then your fans see it as kind of money grab or as a, do you know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know if they see it as a money grab because, I mean, at the end of the day, merch is really just selling the the brand yeah right i don't i mean if it's a good brand then i don't don't think it matters as much but what what i was gonna expand upon was how do you find a way to to create merch that isn't consumed for the wrong reasons for the cultural cachet without actually being part of the movement Uh, so it's like to use a thrasher magazine imagine if obviously it's blown blown up massively or maybe it's cooled down a bit but Imagine if the only way you could buy a Thrasher product was if you bought the magazine. Yeah. So then you have a very direct correlation. Like at the very end of the day, if you don't read it, fine. But at least you're directly supporting the original product. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I think that's really fascinating. And if making was to do merch, I would want to experiment with that. Maybe not if, but when, you know, when right. we do it, like as a way to incentivize members. So like, hey, you know what? As a member, it's it's kind of a reverse of the Radiotopia thing where you support and I get you something, but it's mm-hmm. more like this is, it sounds so bad, but like you have the opportunity or privilege to buy merch. You might, I, I see you have like this puzzled look on your face. I'm, I'm thinking if that's the right word. I don't think it's the right word. It's the one that came to mind first. <laughs> it's like... <sighs> I'm trying to think about something else that's not making so I can have a better understanding of the way this works. Like yeah. if I was a premium overcast user and that allowed me to buy caps and, and only that, yep. like if I hadn't been a premium overcast user well, by like December 1st, yeah. I don't get the chance. You, you know, to what's buy. interesting is that they had two colors of the overcast yeah. cap. And for people that don't use overcast, basically Orange is the default, kind of orange, a light orange theme is the default, a light in the sense of light colored. Um, and then there's a dark theme, 
So, but the dart theme is only for people that support the app. Oh, but really? In this capacity, it was available for everybody. Oh. I think. So that's kind of interesting because you could buy the dark theme even though you never supported the app. I don't know if you oh. noticed that when you're using my phone yesterday that I had the dark theme on. I did notice that. Yeah, I did notice that. Maybe we should find a way to conclude. It's not it. really. I don't know. Is it an opportunity? I'm still thinking about that. Because you said, like, if you're a member, then that gets you the opportunity to buy product. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you're you're rewarding loyalty in a way, but you're also ensuring that, hey, like, it's a very invested relationship, not just blasting to everyone. I mean, I think it's more like whether it can be made available to everybody is... Not a not necessarily black or white. I mean, it can be made available, but just under what pretense? Or just know? like this is becoming into a marketing strategy, meaning, or <laughs> if something's a variation that's only available to members, like let's say we did a tote bag and the black variation is only available Correct. to members, but Friends the white exactly. version is available to everyone. Yeah. Oh, it's kind of like um, didn't we do a story about friends and family shoes? Yeah, yeah. Where there's like a differentiation, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Everyone keep an eye out. We'll get to it. I wonder what people would want to see from Macon. Oh, they should. I feel like this is a question that's going to get some responses. You think so? I was thinking, uh, yo, you should talk about your the thing you mocked up yesterday. <laughs> so, actually, I, don't, I think a lot of listeners don't know this because we've stopped mentioning it. Eugene and I still illustrate every episode so at the beginning of this podcast when we started we used to draw while we were talking so difficult it was really so difficult very, i'm actually glad difficult. we stopped doing that but now we draw after the fact so eugene draws half of the drawing and then he passes it to me and then i fill in around his drawing i don't really draw half i would say that i draw i set the tone and then sharice comes over the top and finishes it sure <laughs> anyway, we do post these, but I think on some apps, the images don't show up in the show notes. At any rate, yesterday for fun, I mocked up some of our making it up drawings on white t-shirts. where there's Pocket like, tees. Yeah, pocket tees. And then on the pocket is part of Eugene's drawing because I love his stick figures and whatever he comes up with. And then the back is the full drawing from both of us. Yeah. It's fun. I thought about if you just threw it up on Instagram stories and just had people vote oh yeah wait like different episodes or just like yes no because I, I feel like we're gonna get i'm so confident i was like a hundred percent yes people are gonna be like make this shirt well i mean it's easy to vote on instagram exactly. it's nothing for you to spend money it's also easy to be positive when voting on instagram yeah so. um but you can email us or slack us what products would you like to see do you even want to see products? Do you even, <laughs> sorry. Yes, that's an option as well. You can totally shut us down. Be like, no. Let's oh, move on into the dark, hey. dark world of YouTube videos. Oh, I wrote Children's so many YouTube notes on this. Videos. I'm going into this blank. What? Yeah. 
I had a point of view on it. I just didn't want to be influenced by uh, research. No, no, no. See, I wrote... No, no, no. To be clear, I wrote a lot of notes on this because I'm... I feel like I really want to say a disclaimer because I'm sure there's some stuff in this that's technically wrong because we don't... We didn't talk to anyone at YouTube. We didn't talk to anyone who creates these children's videos. So there is some measure of not verified. Uncertainty. Yeah, uncertainty about what it is. Okay, anyway, like we should we should start from the beginning. In early November, a writer and artist, James Bridal, who is concerned with tech and culture and who writes about it frequently, wrote this 20-minute long read on Medium titled Something is Wrong on the Internet. And the article became really widely circulated. A lot of people were reading it and it was shared in our Slack community as well. So in this article, he talks about his observations from seeing kids watch a lot of YouTube. And he makes this his own disclaimer and says, you know, he's not a parent yet. And he's not being judgmental of parents who put YouTube in front of their kids in restaurants. Like that's not his argument. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So his main argument is this, and I'm just going to read it verbatim. Someone or something or some combination of people and things is using YouTube to systematically frighten, traumatize, and abuse children automatically and at scale. And it forces me to question my own beliefs about the internet at every level. So that's his thesis, right? And I, I don't think, like, I didn't decide that I wanted to talk about this to talk about the traumatic, abusive part, like, I think that you still need to contextualize for people that haven't watched one of these videos, whether they go and watch it or not. Maybe you can describe yeah, yeah, yeah. how messed up they are. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into the messed up part, there were some things that were just, I didn't know about kids YouTube. Have you ever hung out in this uh, area? The, the extent of it is really just what cartoons they They're either watching cartoons or they're watching unboxing things. Right. So I didn't actually know about the unboxing element. They're... There's like all of these really popular videos that are essentially like unboxing videos, but for surprise eggs, like Kinder Toys. Yes. And they get millions, apparently, of views and subscribers. So besides the surprise egg videos, there's also just like a lot of nursery rhyme and Peppa Pig and animations. And the weird part, like what gets creepy is when there are videos that are digital or human actors, but they're clearly created to play to search terms. Yeah. And they're like kind of mashups of everything. So it's like, he gives a specific examples, but like mashing up Disney and finger puppets and um, Frozen and all these characters and tropes like come together in one video. And it's really not apparent if there was any human involved in the creation of that video. Yeah. And they become, I would say, not educational. And also, yeah, they just fulfill a different sort of function, right? It's not about education. It's, it's about really not. And it's not even like a business function. They don't even have narratives, really, yeah. these videos. Like, there's no. It's like a bunch of cartoon characters blabbing about, essentially. Or not even blabbing, because, like, I think the target audience in the videos that he mainly covers are very small children. So it's mainly just about colors and movement. But his point about this being inappropriate is that it's not. If you were a parent and you were watching like every video that came up, this is not stuff you would select. The reason why this content exists is because of the way YouTube works yeah. for 
Basically, they're gaming the system. Right. So the way, you know, things float to the top of search results or the autoplay, like what's suggested next, these are the videos that game that system. And that's what he finds really concerning. Yeah. So maybe now you can explain one of these videos. Although I have to admit, I was, I'm probably just desensitized. Like I wasn't. It felt like it just felt like an art adult cartoon. If I didn't know the background story of it being characters that are often associated with more positive children's things, it's kind of like if you took Hello Kitty, who has this disposition of being a very positive cartoon character, and then put them into some dark adult stuff. That's how I felt. But, but I, I didn't have... Like, I don't even think... I didn't think it was like really dark, but I do agree. It's just like not something you would choose for your kid. No, do you know no, what I mean? Like, no. it's very... It's weird. Do you know? What I mean? It's like, weird. Yeah. So I remember this one, one. This yeah. one video starts. It's, it's, it's not even well made either. That's the other thing. Like there's so much good content and this stuff is like really lo-fi, like very, it's not artistic. Okay. It's yeah. been generated by a machine, I think. So this one video starts with Spider-Man riding a motorcycle down this like suburban street. And then the Joker is skipping along and he throws a can of soda at the motorcycle and Spider-Man falls off and then Joker like picks him up over his shoulder and walks off. And then this happens like that kind of same thing happens with four pairs of good guys and bad guys. That so, like, that like my me, tone of voice, I'm just like confused. total eyebrow raise. I mean, that one isn't even that bad. The one that I watched that was weird was it was basically the undertone was like cannibalism what you didn't watch this one it's like a pig who was oh, eating bacon yeah. and then they ended up he ended up killing his dad and then eating his dad that was kind yeah, of messed up yeah 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 but that um, to me could have been just an adult cartoon as you said if you didn't have the that pig well, family but i think that's also part of bridal's point is that Yes, there are obviously people out there who are making parody videos, okay? Like intentionally making sarcastic, dark humor videos. But the problem with YouTube is that it's not differentiating. It's, it sort of white labels everything. It's not apparent. Is something officially Disney or not? Like wasn't made by Eugene or Peppa Pig. And when it combines all these things together, it, it erodes trusted content. Well, basically the solution would be like, parents don't show your kids YouTube like you yeah. just have to like and, avoid the system entirely another thing too is that these videos it's very difficult to screen the thousands and millions of minutes of content out there so that you don't know what's actually safe to watch right but I like, think it's crazy that I don't know because I was thinking about this when I was coming in and my stance is essentially that YouTube needs to be more responsible and they need to step in and take more action in this regard, I don't, I don't know, it's hard because I want to be like, they're the ones that should set up stronger rules and restrictions when it comes to this content in particular, okay, for kids. But then I understand that it's like, that's not what they're here for. But it's also not going to happen. And they they don't have an interest in doing it. I don't think it's that they don't have an interest. It's that the general setting in which these kids are consuming the videos, they basically need to know that what they're watching is wrong to self-moderate, to flag it. But if you're a kid, you don't know if it's right or wrong. Yeah. That's the scary part. It's like, 
you know, they might be just normalized that, hey, eating a, a pig, eating a pig in the form of bacon is not wrong. Right. But also because, it's... You know, well, adults aren't necessarily looking over the shoulder of their kids as they're, they're I mean, watching their iPad. Can you really expect them to? No, like, I don't. Every minute, that's, right? that's why so... I think this is such a big issue. It's like you're, there is no real solution because... Yeah. But Children, isn't it crazy that even what you're saying exists. or what we're saying is that it the onus is on the viewer to flag bad content because we cannot think, trust YouTube as a platform to c- control bad content. I just think the overall scale is excessive. You know, you look at massive areas of moderation. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, New York Times and like Instrument, like one of our good friends, at, like, yeah, yeah, good friends at Instrument, we're working together on. AI moderation. There's just, you know, basically the whole internet has the ability to comment and or not, this is a little bit different. Like the whole internet cannot create these videos, but there's a a large subset of people that can and they far exceed the resources because then it changes because it's like YouTube is not out there to moderate. Yeah. They're there to host videos. Well, they're they're also there to monetize. Monetize. And not to say that not to say, and Bridal doesn't say this either, like YouTube is not intentionally allowing this content to exist so that they can monetize it. It's they don't know about it, right? Yeah, they don't know about it. And even if they know to the extent that it exists, it's, I don't think it's easy. The, like we've been saying, the scale of the system works in a way that just allows this kind of content to proliferate. And it's impossible. I can't even... You know what would actually be a solution? I'm just this, I just thought of this is, can you create safe zones? I'm sure there's, you know, kids friendly channels, but like just lock it in. Like, but there is. See, that's the problem. Well, Brian talks about it too. Is that part of the thing? They shouldn't, but they get in. Is the thing. So I don't know if is it like the AI isn't smart enough. No, yet? but I'm, what I'm saying is like go as far as to become an approved YouTube children's channel, and then only serve videos under the approved list to kids. Okay, well, there, first of all, it's there like an is kids YouTube list. and yeah. there are verified channels, but we all know that the verified channels doesn't necessarily mean I anything. Just think, I, I just think, think what you're talking be, about is like Netflix. I mean, yeah, it could be. Because if you were, when you break, think about you it, if you were section. thinking about Netflix, you would be like, oh yeah, I trust my kid to be watching like, I yes. don't know, Peppa Pig on Netflix because yeah. it's, Approved, right? So Peppa, like that's going to be the official. As an aside, Peppa Pig is like an actual positive, like feel good, happy yeah, children's mentioned cartoon. It so many times, it's like a popular. It's but it's generally I, positive. Like it, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, right. yeah. It's it's positive. It's like um, what's an example? Like Rugrats. Okay, like that's it. an example from got my it, it, own childhood. Yeah, yeah. Peppa Pig is nowadays kids. Yeah. But Rugrats. I guess to that point, it's like if if children are utilizing YouTube as that source of entertainment. You need you need to find a way to create safe safe zones for them, and yeah. I think it has to be very clear. like an actual human moderated safe exactly. zone. Yeah. And I think, even if it's not big, I mean, yeah, I think that that you need to do that, and it's you know you still have the monetization, and then the reality of it is, if you can reduce the discoverability of people for kids videos that aren't on this approved list, what does that happen to them? Like, what's the financial incentive to go create these videos? If people aren't finding them. Right. Well, there is also, there are some things that I think YouTube can do. And one of the things is to cut down on bots on YouTube because Bridal kind of mentions this, that there are definitely videos and channels where the 
views and subscribers are heavily inflated because of bots. And that bumps them up in search results. So if you were able to just cut down on the bot situation, they wouldn't organically show up as much. Yeah. Um, so that's, a, I feel like that is an easier yeah. thing to and do. Another thing too is that children are naturally gravitating towards existing franchises like Peppa the Pig. Yeah. Which means that I can only imagine and speculate that you could easily find a way to just only show approved Peppa the Pig content because you can easily, okay, you know what? This is not an official Peppa the Pig channel. No, That's sorry. so true because if you think about music artists, YouTube is so good about shutting down exactly. people who um, upload like rip, songs. Yeah, yeah, rip tracks before the official like exactly. Vivo channel. Like if that's possible, surely they can do it for cartoons. Surely. You would think. You think. Yeah. You would think. I don't think it's that far off. Yeah. I think it's, if they really want to take a stand against it, then yeah. But to be honest, I don't think this issue would have ever come up if this if this James guy didn't go and talk about it because no kid is going to go and yes. bring this up. And parents are, if you're Oblivious. the parent of a young child, you're probably not paying like, this is not your priority, honestly, which is fine. Like you have, as a parent, you have other priorities like raising your kids. So obviously it's going to be people who are invested in you know, the future of technology and the role we let AI play in our lives that's going to highlight these issues. And I think it's important. I mean, I, I think regardless of, and I think there are going to be detractors who say like the problem is not as bad as bridal makes it out to be. If the problem exists at all, I think it is worth mentioning because it can only get worse. I think this is a fine place to end things for the day. If you're interested in hearing more about Macon and our membership opportunities, which include exclusive content and a members only Slack, head over to Macon.com. There you'll experience some of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture. You can also subscribe through us to your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this podcast, do us a favor, rate us on iTunes. Um, it makes a big difference or just pass along the word because discoverability in podcasts suck. Um, that's the reality of it. Oh, well. We'll be thankful. Yeah, I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up. <laughs>